So returning to these uh, themes, um, calm, insight, mind, citta, mind, heart, awareness, citta, aggregates, khandas, uh, and meditation. Mm. Meditation really is about the most intimate thing you can do in your life. That's why it's really uh, important to just not swallow a book or just kind of even take what I'm saying as some command or some statement of ultimate truth. It's just reflections. Something resonates with you, what I'm saying, how I'm putting it. That's wonderful. Take that in and see if you can listen deeply into what that's doing, how that's affecting you. If it doesn't work, you know, it'll be another day. <laughs> this is a very intimate experience because we're dealing really right close up to quality of mind, heart, awareness that many people never really even get that close to. You know, it's so occluded with worries and ambitions and doubts and self-consciousness and defensiveness and you never even get close to it. In fact, most of life is just about getting away from it. Because <laughs> it's there, and it doesn't feel so good. Our purpose, in a way, is to really grasp this first noble truth and bear in mind there is, you know, there's a cause and a cessation of that (laughs) that's manageable, uh, practical, uh, broad outlines of it, something that covers us all. And even some of the main themes I think we can all resonate with, but the actual doing it is really about forming a, you know, quite a careful relationship with your citta, your heart, your body, your embodied mind, your and the particular psychologies and habits that it it it, it runs off into. How you approach this practice so it doesn't become another forced thing, another complicated thing when you've had enough of being forced and complicated doesn't become another big work project when you've had enough of work projects. It doesn't just become another kind of self-obsession when you're fed up with self-obsessions. It's something that requires and really asks us to learn what we haven't learned. So naturally it's always tentative learning what you haven't learned. This, that, this, that. So we go carefully, and uh, you know, relying on our own direct experience, the way through that. But you know, we have the kit, the rationale, and the, and also the means of calming, steadying making the mind feel good, 
feel happier, feel brighter, feel less stirred or depressed or agitated. The the means and the and the rationale, the aims, the means, the skills are all to bound up with the nature of the aggregates. Because dependent on intention, which is a sankara, that's training your intention in ways that have not been so well formed, sensitive, steady, persistent, attentive, training one's receptivity, have an intention and an attention that's able to be receptive and learn contact through direct contact. How's this? How's this? How's this feel? Now, whatever it says on the label, what does it feel like? And the words, of course, are the labels. What does it feel like? How is it affecting this? This is the, the place, the way we, we practice, we work. So intention, attention, contact, listening, learning, sensing. You can't play it by the book. Books are useful, but they'll only give you broad outlines and I think the Buddha was wise enough to, you know, to not sketch in every detail. It's a broad things. Uplifting, good mental states, uplifted mental states. Um, you know, recollection of skillful mental states puts the jitta in a good place. Faith is aroused. Mm. A sense of uh, um, purpose arises. Because one has faith, a willingness to make an effort. It's chanda. One is willing. One is motivated. Make an effort. Apply. And then uh, steady and calming the body. Steady and calming the mind. Important that he brought body into that because the body contains the fundamental blueprints for our energies, whether we are forceful or erratic, tentative, unwavering, or steady, soothing. Those energies are in in your body. And this is where, of course, just getting to feel those qualities in your nervous system and steady them is itself a great benefit, and your mind will naturally be freer and happier. This is part of the, the rationale of uh, of calming. How do you do this? Sanya Sankara. Mm. Sankara, the intention, the attention, clear contact. Sanya, how's that? What's the resonance that comes from that? What's the tone? Sanya is literally something like sign. The word sanya and sign are clearly related. What's the sign of the mind? What are you talking about? Sign of the mind. It's not a word, it's a tone. The mind is tense, brittle, 
if the mind is erratic, the mind is slumped, the mind feels pressed, the mind feels expansive. In Satipatthana Sutta you see the Buddha refers to some of these, one knows the contracted mind, one knows the non-contracted mind, the mind elevated, the mind oppressed. The mind has a certain shape to it, a certain tone to it. We talk about being narrow-minded, recognising, even in a phrase like that, something's been referred to that we can all, oh yeah, narrow-minded. Probably, you know, means strong, sharp, but not much space in it. Broad-minded. Sounds better. Hard-hearted. Soft-hearted. Maybe. (laughs) You know, what do these things refer to? Particular mental tone. This tone is the sign of the mind. In particular, sanya's perceptions that one can uh, cultivate almost resonate a particular sign to the mind, such as the, the sign, the tonality of friendliness, being befriended, being listened to being received. The tonality, the sign of um, mortality. So it sharpens us, wakes us up, recollecting that. And so on. So you kind of bring these signs in, introduce these signs, asking them, how's that feel? How does it check the reckless runaway mind or the casual dismissive mind? Bright sign of brightness, sign of straight upright, the upright jitta. Why does he use a phrase like that, upright? We're referring to something that has a subtle form to it. When the jitter is upright, it feels straight, steady, firm. We know what that feels like. When it's devious, it's kind of wavering and flickering. And when it's crushed, you can use these terms, it feels broken and scattered. Those are real experiences. feel broken-hearted. What are you talking about? You're talking about truth of the mind, jitta. These are not just poetic phrases. They're real experiences that people know and feel what you're referring to you're referring to citta and because citta for the untrained citta is often scattered, broken um, brittle, defensive flattened untrained person doesn't want to go near it just keep putting the paint on top more cosmetic, more paint more paint but the trainee begins to reveal that and, hmm, what's needed here? 
This is the you know, process of meditation, what's needed here, this kindly attitude. Uh, meditation themes one can make much of, and the Buddha recommended mindfulness of breathing. Uh, because breathing is a, involuntary, you don't have to do it, it happens, so that's a bit of a pressure off. Uh, and it's right, it's very intimate. It's not something you have to conjure up, it's there. And it's got a, it's got a steady rhythmic effect. It rises, it pauses, it fluctuates, it flows. You can feel it directly. And the feeling of breathing, if it's, can be very um, steadying because it's something you don't have to make happen. It flows through your body, it affects your nervous system. And the Buddha points to these qualities. Kaya Sankara, the nervous energy of the body is soothed, steadied. But we've always got to recognize, you know, everybody's, that we all do the same thing roughly. <laughs> we breathe in and out. People have different experiences about that. Just how clearly they can feel it. Um, and the rate of it and the effects of it in their bodies because their bodies, the nervous system and our bodies acquires particular habits habits, sankharas, it gets sankharad and one sankhara is, is armouring it's a very normal experience you get body armouring which means body in some ways develops numbness or stiffness or defensive energies that stop feeling things. This is one example of a, you know something we all can recognise, name. Uh, so then the breathing isn't very clear because it has this heavy you know, plating over the bodily energy body vitality, Kaya Sankara is, is blocked and occluded and to remove this body armoring requires a lot of sense of safety, time, no pressure and warmth, warm-heartedness. Most people in terms of their body energy are quite unbalanced, they're up in their heads, not much going on in the back, the vitality doesn't flow very well, it goes into particular patterns that we've used in our work with its certain thrusting rhythms and its speed and its machine-like doggedness and all those have an effect on, on, your, on your nervous system this is not esoteric, this is witnessable fact isn't it? why people have breakdowns, take sedatives you know, to try and get it Somebody can sleep with it. You know, some people's energies don't switch off, can't sleep, or very little. No, that's, that's hmm. so. Just to bear in mind, this the actual patterning of our bodily energy is rather individual, subjective. So your ability to even sense the fullness of breathing in and out may not be that complete. Maybe just a little. 
and just tune into that where you can, you can feel it with this sense of careful attention and dwelling on the perception the perception of breathing in and out this is one of the acknowledged perceptions to be cultivated the perception of breathing in and out the, now I'm talking about a perception is a mental tone, a mental meaning, uh, a certain emotive quality, like any other perception. Perception of busy gets us jangling. Perception of lots to do has an effect. Perception of being welcomed has an effect. And perception of breathing and out has an effect. But it's the perception. And the perception is very intimate, just like our experience of fear or love or aversion. They all happen. So rather than just have a system, you have a broad idea, Buddha says, be mindful of breathing in and out, place your, gather your attention around that. And then just stay with it. The longness, the shortness, the flowing of it. And then you can begin to, as it will, as it begins to, the body energy begins, the body begins to open, and the mind acquires greater sensitivity, you'll feel it, subtle effects shifting through the body. And places that were numb begin to wake up. Places that were were trapped begin to ease places that were dull begin to brighten up mm. it can become very pleasant this is why the Buddha taught it he recognised that jitta is very much attuned to feeling pleasure and pain it's very much attuned to sanya so if we get a perception that's agreeable comfortable, steadying supportive, gives us those qualities, the jitta will brighten and feel steadied and supported by that. But of course one must be really aware of how one is approaching this because although it's something that is quite involuntary, once you create a system out of it, the likelihood is we're going to, I've got to get through this system, I've got to get to the next step, this is how you do it, it says this in the book and how you're supposed to do that and maybe we should get to one of these and just stay and we're away from the intimate experience into the abstraction and then we try to make the breath do what it says in the book <laughs> and we try to make the jitta do what it says in the book and it, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way it just, when the jitter get, feels that one coming, so it's him again, it's her again, <laughs> telling me I've got to do this, that and the other, no way, I've had enough. It's that bully, that, <laughs> that shrill demanding voice, that critical voice, that I've had enough of that. That's what I'm trying to get away from. So you can't approach it like that. It's not a matter of running a slide rule over how long is the breath, it's seven inches, it's fifteen centimetres, no, no. 
not a matter of, can you get it longer, short, it's not a matter of doing it like that, it's just these are senses. Does the breath feel, breathing feel, it's as long as it need be, it doesn't feel constricted. Feeling it in the body, so it's smooth and steady. It's rather like, um, calming is rather like, you know, maybe, um, say you have a horse, you know, a wild horse, or and you want it to become more calm and peaceful, because you care for it. It's, it's rough, it's upset, it's frightened. So you don't just kind of say, calm down. <laughs> or, or run a tape measure over it to see how long it is and, and get a machine to start patting it down. <laughs> you know? Instead you have to kind of approach it quite carefully. And then, hmm, how do you touch it? How do you make contact with your breathing? How does your breathing feel in your body so your body is easy with that? Your mind isn't straining. But at the same time, it's firmly, repeatedly, the way you'd stroke an animal, returning again, gently. The animal doesn't too forceful, the animal reacts, and gently, steadily, till eventually the animal trusts, feels comfortable, and you can go more firmly, steadily. We're always listening, attentive to what the horse is doing, how it's feeling. Similarly, the same way you're attentive to the chitta, the heart, the awareness, your mind. You're attentive to how it's off the body, the bodily reactions and responses. And there's this quality of the right attitude itself has an immensely beneficial effect. Because if you approach it like that, you've already avoided one of the main pitfalls that make meditation such a difficult experience. We've always got ideas of what we should be, or how the jitter should be, or what we can become, or what stage we're at, or what to do next, and we're approaching it with our heads. Abstract. Abstract. The feeling then, the abstract is, if I could get it like it says in the book, I'd be okay. The conformist, to be secure. If I could do it like she does, I'd be okay. He's got it better than I do. Wow, his breathing sounds great, mine's like this. This is abstract. Because, long or short, however it is, what is it? You know, swelling, suffusions, sense the body opening to breathe in, subsiding, breathing out, space around, flow, fluidity. There's a certain warming effect, or conversely, emotionally, a calming effect, just by staying with something that, that, that is natural, involuntary and whose nature is to provide particular kind of energetic um, effect. And what are these effects? 
Well, you say breathing in is a brightening quality, rises up. Breathing out is a discharging, subsiding quality. Energy. And those are necessary because these are like the massage, the ventilation. Bring in the fresh, let go of the old, bring in the fresh, let the old subside. Bring the new, let the old subside. When the chitta picks up that sign, when the chitta picks up that sign, it starts to do the same. The chitta breathes breathe in for breath, for bright now. It begins to abandon and discard the old. Discard the old, discard the old habits, the old acquisitions. Uh, the struggles, the tangles, just doesn't judge, doesn't criticise, it just enough. And then the in-breath is fresher and brighter. And so the jitta picks up the same kind of qualities, same kind of tonalities, the brightening and the releasing. So when the two are in harmony, you know, the breathing and the jitta are in harmony, then this is possible to freshen up the content of the jitta, what it's absorbed in, what it's occluded by, what it's encumbered by, and even its shape. Now, again, to refer to the shape of the mind, when you get into an argument, what shape is your mind? Is it like a sword, stabbing and flashing? Is it narrow and sharp and pointy, stabbing and flashing? Is it like a shield, heavy, iron, not getting in here? What shape is your mind like that? When you've got something to do, what shape is your mind? Surging and rushing, kind of like a, a runaway train, or is it steady and composed? moving forward. Is it like a broad movement forward or just a narrow sprint or shape? And these shapes are significant because the mind like a sword cannot produce calming, expansive, friendly qualities. It's not its nature. Even if it's telling the truth, it still doesn't doesn't feel like it. And if you ever meet people who've got these incredible legalistic minds, you go and say, well, I, I don't know about that. No, it's this and that and this and that. And there's five of these and take that out of correction. You just, <laughs> you just met a mind like a sword. It wasn't being aggressive. It's just that, like a bacon slice up. This is this, this is this, this is this, thank you very much, that's that, out. Uh, I just feel like I've been shredded. But the person was not being malevolent, they were telling the truth, it's just the shape was just, we difficult to be with.
where you get mind shapes that like you go into it. No, this is pretty straightforward. Just this and I mean, that, this mind, this octopus. Well, maybe we could do this, but on the other hand, I don't know. I don't really feel like that's what I should think about it more slowly. And you've got to look at it. Think, what? What's going on? I feel like I'm meeting an octopus in the fog. <laughs> it gets so complicated. <laughs> and so, you know, the shape of our mind, you know, which may not be malevolent intention, is just it's not. It's hindered by these obstructive patterns, and although we might very well say, "Well, the content is impermanent and changeable; that's over." Still, in terms of how we relate to others, we've created big effects for other people, probably without even knowing it. Without even knowing it, I'm just being truthful. You're this and that, and this and that, and that's that, and that's that, and that. Okay, fine. Thank you very much. Now, just being truthful. Just feel like you've just been met by a chainsaw. <laughs> you went, what? And then both people feel mystified. You know, one's telling the truth, the other just feels incredibly cut down. Relational. And so, you know, look at the effects and the effects on other people. And what are they going to bring back? Next time they come in, they've got the helmet on. And the chain mail and the, the shield and the breastplate you know and it builds up so person with the sword got to go a bit faster and harder and this is how it builds up what are we doing here you know and you get the person with the mind like an octopus so the next time you come in you've got a whole set of hooks and to grapple to tie the thing down and you don't, another struggle what's going on here it's crazy <laughs> because the mind is, is misshapen it's deformed so the chitta itself has a form a subtle form an energetic form it's formed through contact repeated contact shape it into the business model into the whatever you know into those shapes and patterns and then that in those shapes and patterns, only certain kind of thoughts can occur. It doesn't have room for other kinds of thoughts. It doesn't know what they are. It doesn't have room for other kinds of intentions because it doesn't know what they are. The mind, like a sword, doesn't know what generous and expansive means. It knows the word, but it doesn't actually know what it feels like. And the mind that's brittle and frightened doesn't know what trust and it feels like. Doesn't know what that, knows what the word means. He doesn't know what it feels like. The do it person likes the idea of relax, but doesn't have a reference to it. Thinks they have to try harder to relax. Relax, relax, try very hard to get relaxed. Just again, again to get relaxed and relax. I've known people like this who couldn't actually. They liked the word. They didn't know what it felt like. What it referred to as an experience. So they always approached it with, try harder to relax. <laughs> sounds like, on paper it sounds like the right thing to do, doesn't it? You need to relax, therefore try harder. Yay! You know, this is where the words break down, because they're all words of abstractions. What does it feel like? Is it anywhere where you can get that sense of, 
you're in the, in the palms of your hands could relax because the body knows how to do it the body knows how to breathe out it knows it doesn't have to worry whether there's going to be another in breath and prepare for it it knows just keep breathing out things are going to happen you don't have to have a preparation a plan for the next in breath or trying to make it happen unfortunately these mental habits can be so ingrained the shape of the mind is so so um, habitual it doesn't actually know how to not plan for the next moment it's always done it it's got good at it it doesn't know how to not doesn't know how to not plan for the next moment because its shape doesn't allow that It's a mind that's got hooks on it. It doesn't know a hook, doesn't know what openness feels like. So one of the most, I find one of the most important pieces of of breathing in and out is just the pause. Breathe out. Wait. I've known people who, who don't get any pause between the out-breath and the in-breath. It doesn't happen. Just... Okay, well, let's try something else then. What about walking? What about learning just to wait in silence? Not focus on doing anything. Just to open to silence. Would that be a place where you'd learn, where the chitta would learn a new shape? As this, in the silence, nothing has to happen. Things will happen, but nothing has to happen. You don't have to plan it. Things will happen. And tuning into that, the sanya, the perception of which is conducive to a quality of the mind, releasing some of its form into an open. Quality that can receive things, allow things to enter without having to make it happen or control it or measure it or compare it with something else. The mind, we're recognizing, you know, these strong sankharas that have shaped and formed the mind. This is why one can call it a mental formation. Because it does, sankaras do form the shape of the mind. But they can be undone. And they're undone in exactly the same way that they're created. Through sanya. So the mind that's only ever seen the sign of you've got to do it, you've got to make it work, you're not good enough, what kind of sankharas will that bring up? Agitation, fear, defensiveness, compulsive, to name a few. Mind will be shaped by that. So the chitta that's received, the sanya, the perception of you know, (laughs) 
you name it, you know, <laughs> your life stories. Some of them are extremely poignant. People's abuse, being abused in various ways. What kind of shape does that leave the mind in? Nervous, groundless, insecure, defensive. Defensive, bristly. Ready to jump, ready to run. Mm. What kind of emotions will fit into that? Those that fit that shape. What kind of strategies and thoughts will arise? Those that fit that shape. Now you can find fault with the thoughts. You can feel, oh, why am I like this, like that, or the other? But this is not self. Clearly, it, it, you can make, one can make itself because these all occur through. One can even begin to remember incidents that have generated those. But right now, that's a memory, not a self. Right now, that's a perception, not a self. And that habit is not a person; it's a sankara. Now, this it's not just work verbal you know, conjuring tricks is to get the sense of you know, retrieving the chitta as that which has the potential to witness and know these and respond to these with its intelligence and with its heartfulness. Once we begin to recognize that, you know, this is the the experience of the abused mind and you know that what do you think the response will be if you really get that isn't it going to be something a little more I don't know assuring, compassionate steadying, comforting the guilty mind the mind that's kind of shivering and cowering you don't have to think these things but so much as once we, we sense that the patterning and respond to it from a place of heart, jitta, rather than from a place of person. It's a very different relationship. A very different response can occur. The person will always blame, lament, uh, struggle. The person will always struggle, lament, blame themselves, others. That's the way they survive, in this armoury, and in their misery, holding themselves together. And yet, we breathe in, bodies breathe in, and bodies breathe out. Bodies walk, there's no pressure. Bodies stand, there's no obligation. Bodies move, there's no hurry. Bodies sit and meditate, there's no plan. There's no agenda. There's responsiveness. The most intimate thing, time, occasion that we're, we're afforded. 
there's a responsibility there but it's not responsibility like a heavy burden it's a sense of you know now is the time now is the time in a few seconds you could meet what you never were able to meet and you could breathe through that what you were never able to allow your breath can allow your body can allow your chitta can be encouraged to move through that to breathe it out and to take something really fresh in the unformed present moment which has no form no prescription no future no plan when we pause we can find that place of pausing both as a physical sign even a mental sign we just wait over in the now trusting it and what will arise in that meeting it, managing it just even on a, on a physical effect of in your breathing if you're able to sense even a micro pause and get interested in it how does the body know when to breathe in how does it know it's breathing it's finished breathing out what happened it was breathing and now it's breathing out how did it how did the change occur when was it get interested in it you're cocking an ear what's happening down there you're putting a finger on the pulse where's that so it's not trying to make yourself pause longer it's just getting interested that quality of intentionality how is that because if those places the pause places the open places just the unformed places the neither coming nor going place is touched it changes the rhythm of everything it changes the speed of everything it changes the intensity of everything and the shape of the mind can soften because it's no longer being held the openness releases it from the obligation and the need to have any form that it can reform simply this is breathing in brightening, rising opening and breathing out, spreading, suffusing begins to find natural form rather than prescribed personal, accumulated habitual from which only prescribed, accumulated and habitual responses, emotions and thoughts can possibly occur how can it be any other way how could the habitual mind ever be free how could there be a program for liberation if liberation is the liberation from programs what program can get you there only the program that begins to trust the unprogrammed release into that and then the forms will arise now this is the beauty and the skill I find or I aspire to develop or attend to more fully 
naturally in all forms, subtle or gross, or impermanent, changeable. You know, we may love to just be bright and open and silent, but sometimes we have to be sharp and pointed and so on. But to know that, to know that shape, to know that shape is purely, you know, a function in accordance with what's necessary. And we're listening and able to change shape. That's the sign. All shapes, all sankharas are impermanent. Then you see the results. You know the results. Because you don't know who you are in that old, tedious way. Anatta. There's not a really some kind of refined uh, doctrine, it's just the truth of it, the matter. And through acquiring, getting stuck in particular shapes and patterns and habits, the mind believes that's the truth, the reality, and it bases its life and its programs and its patterns and its behaviours upon that. Now, marvellously, the karma the occasion has arisen for us. How did this happen? Well, here it is. There's a sense of now's the occasion to release the jitta, to train the jitta, to steady the jitta, to brighten the jitta, to enjoy the jitta, and to relinquish the person. So now it's time for some direct practice and uh, fare on with whatever seems worth faring on with. <laughs>